Welcome to the One Armed Minute, where we continue our hard target search for fun and facts through the minutes of the 1993 action classic, The Fugitive. I'm Susan. And I'm Roger. And this is minute number 14 of The Fugitive. Joining us again for our Wednesday show, veteran podcaster of Roadhouse Minute, 12 Days of White Christmas, and other guest spots, we have Marcy, who Roger likes to say is my wife. Not my wife, his wife. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> this is great. So, Marcy, you must be loving the fact you must be loving the fact that I'm not in control of this podcast. Really, that this really is a partnership. Because, like, really a wild experience, listeners. Just just to let you in behind the curtain, that was the second take that I requested, and I'm still not going to get away from that. So that's fine. That's fine. I see what you did there, Susan. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome back, Marcy. Thank you for uh, sticking with us. Uh, We're in minute number 14 this week, uh, today, and uh, the minute starts with Kimball being put into wrist and ankle restraints and ends with guards escorting prisoners to a bus for transport. I think, Roger, you told me that the room and scenes that they're in is really an elementary school that they converted into a jail. Am I correct in remembering that you told me that? Uh, did I tell you that? Susan, did I tell her that? Is that a fact? I don't live with the, you guys, so I don't. It's, <laughs> no, but, the set is actually a school that they... No, I think it, it actually is a... I think, I think I know what you're talking about. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that, it would not surprise me if what you're saying is true. It's always but, possible. Anyway, I think of it as an elementary school that they've turned into a jail, and it always makes me chuckle when I see it. <laughs> this elementary school would be the the most the darkest, most depressing. It would be like that place we drive past on the way up to Great Barrington every week, the John Dewey Academy. Yeah, well, it's it is the basement level, and it, I can see it. Like you didn't go to public school, Roger, but like my public school when I was growing up, wasn't super terrifically looking. It was very brick and solid color kind of thing. And it had that, it had like that weird kind of courtyard that you see towards the end where you see the bus. All right. Well, I'm just going to take the silver spoon out of my mouth just to respond and say, I went to a Quaker school and like, I guess you're right. If they if they turned down all the lights to 25% and went down into the basement, you might end up with the hallway that we see this. Yeah. I would say this looks very much like a, a city school. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, like you said, if you turn down the lighting and like, you know, put sunscreen, sunscreen, Ooh, sunlight coming down the stairs and that kind of thing, maybe it would be a school. Yeah. I'm just entertained because I remember the last time I was in an elementary school, I had to go to the bathroom and the, ba- the bathroom, like the toilets are tiny because they're made for little kids. I'm just entertained by the fact of it's just the thought of Harrison Ford's and a tiny little toilet. Yeah, that is cute. <laughs> From I, just, I was thinking about this kind of as, you know, you these people go around scouting for sets and locations, and we only get to see like a narrow part of whatever this building is, and they get to really put a lot of movie magic into it. So thinking about this being an elementary school and they brought in all these bars and the chain link fence and everything, I just think that part was really I think it's possible they were able to just like find a location that had these things, like an abandoned, unused detention or something like that. Yes, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I, I, I mean, schools and prisons have two. One, like they both have a kind of an institutional feel to them. Like the stairs look like stairs that are in like a school or a prison or a hospital or something like that. Yeah. 
This is kind of an awkward transition, but can we move from elementary school as prison to human restraint? Sure. <laughs> this, you mean those are not related? <laughs> this is the minute where we really do get to kind of see how um, prisoners get trussed up for transit. And uh, I did, Marcy, I did a little bit of research. I did um, too. This So what we see here is more or less, I would say, the generally accepted way to restrain a prisoner for transport. Um, I don't know exactly what it's called. I mean, it's called a full restraint system. So basically, they're going to put a big leather belt around his waist with a ring through it, and then they handcuff his hands and then put a chain through the ring and then put manacles around his legs. Yeah. That's a full restraint system. And that, those are so that he can't run or walk fast <laughs> or reach out or strangle someone or, you know, or strangle. He can't really get his arms above his waist, really. Yeah, that's. But I always the... thought when you were handcuffed that it was always behind your back. And then, like, I've spent just a very small amount of my time with my hands behind my back exercising. You're going to say handcuffed, and I was just it, like, no. Yeah, me too. No, it is. <laughs> And it's very uncomfortable to have my arms like that for a long period of time. Yeah, because you take you bring your arms forward again and your arms complain about it. Yeah, the whole like shoulder joint doesn't want to be like that mm. for very long. It's an unnatural position. So they, when I was doing some of this reading about these things, like a lot of this has to do with like, um, you know, being decent to prisoners and not putting them in torturous positions. Right. Well, you know, it's their Sixth Amendment right, right? Yeah. To, to protect them from cruel and unusual punishment. I, I'm sure there are sort of different protocols from police who have to restrain somebody who has been who is being detained and yeah. theoretically trying to escape at this point from an incarcerated prisoner who presumably has several eyes on him in a very controlled setting. I read a little bit about the jumpsuit. Did you do any research on the jumpsuit? No. I'm curious why there's two different colors. Me too. Is it because like I'm wondering if the yellow are death row and the green are regular prisoners? That's oh. a possibility. Marcy, what did you find out? Tell us more about his fancy jumpsuit. Well, just like over time, again, those rights that people have to be in decent clothing that is comfortable. And um, so a lot of times they're putting people in clothing that is like scrubs, um, kind of material but also not necessarily in the bright colors all the time and something i was reading was saying that incarcerated people might be in just kind of like neutral colors but that when they're transported they'll put them in very bright colors just in case they want to be able to bottom yeah and you can <laughs> see them but it's not necessarily what they're wearing all the time when they're in the prisons. Let's let's explore this question a little bit more about the color coding because you know in this so in this minute we we do kind of get introduced to the four people the four prisoners who are going to end up on this bus, um, and two of them are in bright yellow, right? Kimball and that creepy dude um, that foams at the mouth. Yeah, so that's uh, Kimball and Carlson, um, whereas Copeland. Uh, or, we're going to meet in this minute. Um, and Partita, they get put in green, which I don't know that much about transporting or looking out for prisoners, but it seems like if you're going through a... Yeah, I was going to say, like, if you're going through the woods, green is the last color you would want to put your prisoners in. Yeah, that's weird. It's a strange, it is a strange choice if it's, if it's a color that you want to be seen. In the Wikipedia article, it was talking about how sometimes they put... Um, inmates in hot pink jumpsuits. Well, orange is the one you always think of. Really? 
Yeah. Hot pink? Why? It sends it. They said it's meant to be a disincentive, especially to male inmates who don't like pink. Incentive to what? To be a prisoner. They're going to jail to dress you in pink. That seems. I mean, well, I mean, that's that's regressive and wrong for so many reasons. But um, well, it says here that the orange jumpsuit became an international symbol of abuse and propagandized by groups such as ISIS. So they kind of started to move away from solid orange jumpsuits. I did not expect ISIS to enter the pocket. I am not an expert in <laughs> I'm not an expert in pinology, but uh, I'm also guessing that perhaps the muted colors are less likely to perhaps risk any sort of gang affiliation. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you this, like scrubs sounds super comfortable. Um, but I actually think if I were being transported as a prisoner, I would want to have whatever they're putting Richard Kimball in right now, which almost looks like foul weather gear. Cause I'll tell you what, if I'm gonna get shanked, I want there to be as thick a layer of protection between me and that toothbrush as possible. Well, that's one thing mm -hmm. I noticed that there, uh, I, I haven't noticed for the green jumpsuits, but for the yellow jumpsuits, they have top and back pockets you would think that's you, funny you wouldn't want a prisoner to have pockets that they can hide things in that you know could possibly be used later for an escape for example right i it's, think maybe to like they're also in the middle of winter in chicago here and maybe these people would normally have a coat on and not just a jumpsuit okay um, but shouldn't they all get the same <laughs> yeah let me let me posit another theory. Let me break the fourth wall here. Is it possible that in the process of them redecorating their elementary school, the the costume designers were like, "Look, we went back to wardrobe, and these were the only four outfits we had. You guys got to wear these." I did think that like this is what we've got. Put them on. <laughs> it's possible. You two in the front, put the yellow ones on. You two in the back, these just be even. You put these on. Do you think now is a good time to introduce Copeland? I love this minute. This is one of my favorite minutes of the movie. Uh, what? So listeners, yeah, so listeners. What? What? No, yeah. uh, we are going to talk more, much more about Eddie Bo Smith in a future minute because I think he is delightful and I never understood why his career did not take off. Um, but yeah, so this is, as you just heard, this is the minute where really we learn everything we need to know about Copeland. He seems he's like he's belligerent, essentially. Yeah, and he also seems like he knows that main guard quite well. Like, yeah, and around the block a few times with him. Yes, the the guard whose character name is Old Guard, Old um, guard. who we will also be mentioning. Not to be confused with Young Guard. That's right. Old Guard is the one um, with the mustache, and Young Guard is the one uh, who gets saved by Campbell. Mm -hmm. I think I, there's some. Sorry, guys. So no, you know, I was going to say, as they're walking to the bus, I think they sort of play it off as uh, he's got leg restraints on, but Harrison Ford is noticeably limping in that uh, little section there. And that's because he hurt himself on set, as Harrison Ford seems prone to do. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, that actually yeah. tells you. I mean, so so we order a filming. That's right. So, yeah. So, Susan, you we're going to talk about this later, but you want to tell the listeners where he gets himself hurt? Well, while he's running through the woods, uh, he injured uh, ligaments in his leg. And he made the decision that he didn't want to get them fixed because he wanted his character to keep on limping. <laughs> uh, Did you know that story, Marsh? No, but I mean, that fits with other things we've heard about Harrison Ford. Yeah. I mean, Harrison Ford has always walked like his knees hurt, even when he was in his 30s. Like watching Indiana Jones run 
hurts. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, he just like he's like, no, don't fix it. I'm gonna use it. So, and I just make one more note before we get to the walking scene, mm-hmm. um, because uh, again, on the theme of amazing quiet acting by Harrison Ford, the way that he performs in this, like he only has one word mm-hmm. in this minute, but the way that the way that like when they call roll and they say Kimball, and then he kind of. He like he looks up and he goes, uh, yeah, like you can tell, like you know, like which one of these guys doesn't belong? It's this guy. Yeah. And the other prisoners know it too. Yeah, yeah. I did so before we get to the walking as well. I uh, I'm gonna do my deep dive of uh, one minor thing in this uh, in this minute, which is the paperwork on the clipboard. We saw. Oh him, yeah. We see him lift up the paperwork to look at Kimball's photo and his prison ID is five four eight eight zero zero nine eight two I R. But also, the paperwork is completely unrelated. It's commodity as a commodities balance sheet of some kind. What? That has okay. column headers such as the following: date, quantity ordered, date received, quantity received, unit price, total value, date issued, quantity issued, unit balance. And the highest total value on the visible sheet is $140. That's funny. I've never <laughs> obviously to... grabbed it from somewhere, just shoved it in the clipboard so that the guy had the paper to flip through. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. I've never looked at those words before, and now they make no sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is all made before a time where people were pausing and dissecting movies on such a scale. Or HD as well, like super high quality, where you can see like everyone's pores. I mean, <laughs> they weren't expecting this. No, I, it kind of makes you wonder. Like maybe this was the crafts, the clipboard for the craft services guy, and he was like, "Hey." Like, Lenny, give me your clipboard. I got to shoot this scene with Kimball. Yeah, right. To shove um, the pictures in there. Can we talk a little bit about Roy Huggins? Sure. I think no. it's... Sorry. Marcy, you're not <laughs> the co... You're not Thank the co- everyone for listening this week. All right. Wrap it. Um, so this is the minute where we get Roy Huggins' credit. This is also where they start doing credits again. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, Susan, as has been your tradition, do you want to do before and after for Roy Huggins? Did you do that? Didn't actually, but if you, you know, keep talking, I'll get there. Okay. So who is Roy Huggins? Um, Roy Huggins was the creator of the TV series, The Fugitive, which is why he is credited. And, and there's a very specific reason why he is credited as one of the producers. So I'm going to tell you all a little story. And then afterwards, you're going to hate Hollywood a little bit. Um, so Roy Huggins um, is a pretty big deal in terms of like television producing in the 50s and 60s. Um, he produced lots of very successful TV series, including but not limited to Maverick, as in like here's James Garner as a smooth talking card player. And later this, that movie with Mel Gibson. Um he produced uh, another James Garner show called The Rockford Files, which was a super successful show where he played a detective. Um, and then he also produced, I think, the 1980s police drama called Hunter, um, which I remember watching. I think that show was like super big, successful as well. Yeah. Um, so, like, he's a big deal. Um, uh, a not so pleasant fact that I found out about him is that he was a communist until 1939. That's fine. Um, but then when he got hauled in front of uh, HUAC in 1952, he named names. Um, that's not so good. Um, but that's not the story I wanted to tell you. The story I wanted to tell you is about something called the Huggins contract, which he got 
um, for uh, many of his shows uh, and movies like this. Um, Susan, did you did you come across the concept of the Huggins contract in your research? I did. Okay. So here's how it works. Um, so Marcy, I'll, I'll tell the story to you. One of the things that Roy Huggins found out when he was a producer is that big Hollywood, spoiler alert, we just got out of one strike and we're still in another one, will try to screw the little, screw over the little guy when they can. So what they did on Maverick, <laughs> which he created, is they took the pilot episode that he wrote. They took another show that uh, Warner Brothers was producing on the side, adapted it one of its episodes into the actual first episode of Maverick that they broadcast on television, took his pilot, narrated it as the second episode, and then tried to claim that uh, that he did not deserve um, story creation credit for Maverick. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know they they won. Um, so after that, basically he demanded for all future productions. Um, that he got something that later became called the Huggins contract, where basically if he came up with the idea, um, he he's he got paid. Yeah. Whether whether he was credited as a producer or not. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's how he ends up being credited as a producer on this movie and hopefully ended up earning him a bunch of money. Yeah, I do have find, your, go ahead. They just find ways on ways to just screw him. a lot of money, don't they? You're not, not interested in that, but we'll change this guy's name by one letter and make a movie and then not give you, know, you anything. Yeah, I do have his before and afters. His before oh. and afters for his producer side of his uh, career was Perfect Crimes before and U.S. Marshals after. Wait, what? There was a big gap in his producing. Like he did he, the next movie he produced after this movie is U.S. Marshals. Okay. Uh, for writer, his uh, before is Perfect Crimes, and his after is the movie Maverick. Okay. Um. It's a very good show. I, Marcy, have you ever seen any episodes of The Fugitive? No. Um, uh, so here's what I know about it. Uh, it ran for four seasons, 120 episodes. That's a lot of episodes for only four seasons of television. Life was different back then. Wow. Give up. He doesn't exist tomorrow, our man. We've done 110 episodes. <laughs> uh, it was nominated for five Emmys, and it won for Best Drama in 1966. Uh, and basically, the plot of the show is the plot of this movie. This movie is four seasons of The Fugitive distilled down into two hours of movie. Do we know how the TV show ended? Was it canceled or did we finally find it? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, like, spoilers for the 1960s, 60s uh, TV show The Fugitive. They do catch up with the one-armed man in the finale of The Fugitive, okay. which, um, which here's a fun fact compared to, uh, since you brought up M.A.S.H., before the before the final episode of MASH, which is, I think, still the highest uh, rated scripted TV episode of or all time, um, the final episode of The Fugitive, I believe, was the highest rated uh, TV show of all time. Oh, yeah, because they didn't know how it was going to end. We knew that's right. it was going to end, but we didn't know how the TV show worked. Now, hmm. did they end it at the end of season four because the studio said, we're not going to pay for another season? And... You know, had they always envisioned like three more seasons? I don't know, but they but they did end up a, being able to close the show in the way that they had wanted to. Because that would suck if it was just canceled. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> what, what we call the a, a Twin Peaks type situation. Yeah. What else? What other? There's other there's credit in this uh, in this minute for uh, producer Peter McGregor Scott. His before is Under Siege. His after is Black Beauty. 
and he's known he has produced several movies that i have actually seen which is batman and robin and the guardian batman forever and under siege so there you go uh two of those movies have tommy lee jones in them oh well there's a um and at least one of them is good (laughs) might just be this one i don't mind the guardian is it so oh that's interesting. I, I didn't realize there was a Black Beauty that came out in 1994. I just assumed that they kept producing Black Beauties like one that once every 10 years. I think Black Beauty is like the Three Musketeers. Every three years, this is a new one. That's what I think so, too. This is the story about the horse? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I don't know who's in that version of Black Beauty. Oh, it's got it's got Sean Bean in it. I wonder if he dies. Oh, he, he has to die. Come on. Uh, it's Sean Bean. I don't think so. Not in Black Beauty. This this cast is stacked. It's got David Thewlis, a.k.a. Professor Lupin. Yeah. Uh, and Alan Cumming, oh. um, who uh, has been in a bunch of things. Who but... plays the young girl? Usually there's a young girl in Black Beauty, right? Are you saying, did you, are you implying that Alan Cumming plays the young girl in Black Beauty? No, I'm not implying that. It sounds like oh. you are. No. <laughs> who plays the young girl? You'd have to Just, tell me what his name is. I don't know, but usually there's a young girl who befriends the horse, right? Isn't that how Black Beauty works? I don't know. Oh, I did not expect we were going to spend any time on this, but you brought it up, so this is your fault. Listen to this. I'm going to read to you the first sentence of the plot on Wikipedia. Black Beauty narrates his own story. (laughs) This appears to be a movie from the point of view of the horse. Wow. Oh, man, I am all in. I mean, it's got a good cast, an interesting premise. (laughs) Alan Cumming plays the horse. (laughs) Are you being serious or are you joking? I I can't. I am. Absolutely serious. Alan Cumming as Wait, Black he... Beauty, parentheses, voice. Okay, he narrates the horse. Like, he's the voice of the horse. He's not actually playing a horse. <laughs> yes, Suter. He's not actually playing a horse. I'm picturing him in a pantomime horse outfit. This is, this is not like Daniel Radcliffe doing Equus. Yeah, right. Um, but since you asked, and since we're trying to connect back to the movie we're watching, the name of the horse in the 1994 movie, The Black, Be- Black Beauty, is called Doc's keeping time. Hold on. The horse is not called Black Beauty? Well, no. The actor who plays the horse named Black Beauty is a horse named Doc's keeping time. Oh, okay. Sorry. I misunderstood. <laughs> Doc's keeping time plays Farmer Gray. Wow. Wow. All right, friends. That was Black Beauty Minute. Tune in for more Oisey Talk on the Friday show. <laughs> Any this this tells you like how much of actual importance is happening in these three minutes. Do y'all have anything else about the action in this minute? I don't. I mean, we're about to spend a lot of time with the bus, so I'm gonna assume we're gonna talk about the bus in a later minute. That sounds good. Just watching the minute now. I'm sitting here watching the minute. I'm I'm also entertained by the SI-18 on his shoes. I don't know what that's about. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And I assume IDOC is the Illinois Department of Correction. Yes, I'm sure that you're right. Well, I don't have anything else. If you don't have anything else, Susan, we can move on to our guest feature. All right. So on Wednesdays, we generally ask our guest, if you were part or the focus of a hard target search in which of Sam Gerard's fugitive locations would you most like to hide in? Can I just pause? Can I just pause real quick? Since this is my wife and make life a little hard on her. Marcy, as a as a throwback to our episodes of, I think I saw that. 
And if you want to go back and do a deep dive, go into the Wayback Machine listeners, you can hear Marcy and my first podcast endeavor. The last pair of episodes we made was on this very movie. Not one minute at a time, the whole movie, but this very movie. But the premise of that podcast is that Marcy has a hard time remembering things. Not necessarily about this movie, but in general about movies. Marcy, how many of uh, Deputy Marshal Samuel Gerard's fugitive locations can you name? Well, we've got the hen house, the outhouse, the barn house, the dog house, the backyard house. I don't know. <laughs> that was better than I think I could do, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think you, I think you got four of them. How many are there? Well, so, Susan, why, why don't I will untime out. Why don't you give Marcy the whole list before she can tell us her chosen location? So I'll do my best Tommy Lee Jones impersonation. Gas station, residence, warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, and dog house. Ah, uh, there you go. So I need to pick one of those. Which one would you rather hide in? Was warehouse one of the options? It was. I would pick a warehouse because it, if you have a warehouse, I mean, it's a giant open space. Well, giant open, but also like lots of hidey holes to get behind. And you can kind of like squirrel yourself away somewhere. I think we all imagine the warehouse from the end of Indiana Jones and and Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is like a sea of boxes that you can hide. Yes, yes. <laughs> Probably also heated. You can also just kind of like move around a little bit um, while people are searching there and just kind of get to a different area. Oh, you can scooby do it. They'll never find you in there. See, Susan, I don't think you're wrong. That is, that is what most people think of because that's like the most iconic warehouse in movie history. But that's like, that's just like a recipe for slow starvation. Like there's no sustenance in there. You don't know what's in those boxes. You could find a magic box and all that pops out of it is Pop-Tarts. You don't know. That's fair. Maybe if you find the Holy Grail, it in fact contains Scooby Snacks. Scooby Snacks? I need an oh. Amazon warehouse. That's exactly what I was going to say. Thing in there. I think you've got I entertainment. Think... You've got food. You've got clothing. You've got everything you need. You've probably got travel toilets in there. I think that there like is... plastic bags. There is, a, there is a comedic crime movie waiting to be made as soon as jeff bezos feels like the the rating the public opinion towards amazon is even lower than it is now and he needs to do something to burnish the reputation he has to green light like some sort of funny movie where the premise is like some criminal that we sort of care about but we don't think it's that bad escapes into his Amazon warehouse and some cop that we think we need that we're, that we're all secretly rooting for has to fund him. What about Night at the Museum but in an Amazon warehouse? That would work. Night at the warehouse. Night at the warehouse. See? Wow. What do we need? We need a Huggins contract and we need it right now. We do. <laughs> Good point. I would pick Dwayne Johnson to play the cop. Who would you all like to pick to play our future? Owen Wilson. I don't like Owen Wilson. I don't know. I know that's a hot take. I like. Uh, I'm, I'm placing this uh, podcast in the uh, in the time and space at the moment, but like Loki season two starts, so I guess I had him on my head in my head. I find he has kind of an annoying voice. It's a little bit, but he's cute. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Marcy, what about you? Who would you pick as our Amazon fugitive? Our Amazon fugitive. Golly, I'm so bad with names. That's very so challenging for me. Um. I don't know. There's all these men nowadays that have no body hair and big muscles. It seems like one of those might fit it. 
Well, that's who I've already picked to be the cop, though. That's Dwayne Johnson. Oh, yeah. We need we need like an opposite of that. Marcy, ner- nerdy, maybe. Let me let me throw an idea out at you because I know that this person can play comedic because he's done it in two of his last three roles now. What about if Daniel Craig was the Amazon fugitive? Yeah, he's hairless, but I guess so. He's but, getting a little old for that kind of thing. But what if he? You know that dude that plays Ben from um, Parks and Recreation. You mean? Uh, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You mean uh, Amy Poehler's husband, uh, the kind of nerdy guy, uh, Adam Scott. Adam Scott. That's a good choice. He was in Severance. That was an interesting show too. He would make it. He would make it kind of like the movie we just watched, which was um, Game Night. He would be kind of like a Jason Bateman. He's got facial expressions that are arresting. Yeah. He's really nerdy, but he also looks like if you backed him into a corner, he would come out like a Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would like to make it. That's a big case for. Richard Ayoade. All right. You're, you. you're going to have to tell me who that is. For... Not person. <laughs> He's from um, uh, IT Crap. Have you ever seen oh, IT Crap? Oh, Marcy used to love that show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How do you spell Ayoade? A-Y-O-A-D-E. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Crazy hair. Oh, my. Yeah. He's nerdy. He's funny. He's awkward. Yeah. He's- these are all good choices. I just, I'm just imagining now The Rock chasing him around a warehouse. I'm sold. Take my money. Yeah, that would be good. Night, night at the Amazon. All right, let's go. It can't be any worse than Death on the Nile. What <laughs> King That was terrible. <laughs> Didn't they make a second one? The, that was that was the second one. They actually made was a third it? one, Marcy. We need to watch that. Mm, no, you do this because actually I've heard it's pretty good. All right. Well, anybody have anything else for this minute? I sure don't. Nope. Well, thank you once again for listening to another episode of the One Hour Minute. Please, if you can, rate and review on your favorite podcasting app. We will do a shout out for any five-star reviews on Easier Airways. Come and join us on Facebook at Tempest Fugitive, the One Armed Minute search team. We're also on the artist formerly known as Twitter at One Armed Minute. And you can email us at OneArmedMinute at gmail.com. So remember, until next time. I didn't kill my wife. I don't care. Thank <laughs> you.